When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about a topic that's not too often discussed colicky babies. Now I've heard about colicky babies for decades because my older brother was colicky and my mom talked about it for a long time. In fact, I don't think she's ever really gotten over it. And I've had some friends that have had colicky babies and it's really taken a toll on them. So I thought, let's talk about this. Let's understand a little bit about what colic is and having a plan and some tips for if your baby's colicky, how to get through this phase. So to have this conversation, I have Jackie Delvecchio. She is a licensed mental health counselor in Massachusetts. She graduated with a master's degree in mental health counseling and went on to become certified in perinatal mental health. Jackie also received a certification in laughter therapy to incorporate in the much needed skill into her work. And she currently works as a private practice. And on a personal note, she is married and the mother of two. And and her first child was colicky. So she's got a lot of information and some really solid tips. So if you're in the middle of this phase, Jackie's going to throw you a lifeline and give you some support and help to get to the other side. And if you are pregnant, having a plan in case your baby is colicky can help smooth yourself through this transitional time. Because remember, colic is transitional. That baby is not going to be colicky forever. Before we get to that conversation, I I want to give a shout out to Kristen, who's actually been part of our community for a while. She lives in Alaska and wow, talk about dedication. She had been taking classes pretty much every day for several months and I just got her email and I just pulled out a snippet of what she wrote to me. She said, the hip circles felt amazing and while things didn't go as planned, it was amazing. Pushed for maybe 10 minutes, standing and swaying in seaweed asana. Everyone is happy and healthy. I can't tell you how grateful I am to have found your classes in this pandemic. Know that you were part of this birth miles away as I channeled your voice. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kristen. And I have to say, I have seen many births, but I have never seen a baby be pushed out in seaweed asana. So that's actually one of our made-up prenatal yoga center poses. So if you if you don't know it and want to know it, jump into class. Um, so thank you, Kristen, for sharing that. And I am deeply honored to have been part of your birth in some way and that our time together, even though it was virtual, even though we were only face to Zoom to face once, I knew your commitment to the classes and I'm so honored to have played a small role. So thank you for letting me know that. 
What else? So as you know, we have classes and our workshops online. Everything's online. So check that out. You can check it out at our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter and continue to get the information. Each newsletter has a little snippet of great information, just a little tip you can take away with you. And then the last thing I want to mention is if you are enjoying this podcast and you want to leave a rating interview, I would greatly appreciate it. It would help people find the podcast and will help our community continue to thrive. Okay, I think that's enough. We're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Jackie. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, Jackie. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I am really excited to talk to you. I know not every baby is colicky, but those that are, ooh, it is, it is tough. It is a tough road. So I'm really excited to sure talk to you about, about coping with a colicky baby. And I know, I know you went through this. So I guess to jump in, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and also what led you to specializing in perinatal mental health? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I am a mental, a licensed mental health counselor. Um, and that has just kind of always been, always been my passion. And I never really thought of going the perinatal, uh, route before until I then had a child who had colic. Um, so it was after that experience that I realized parenthood was way harder than I expected, uh, especially since there are unexpected things that can then happen with your children. And it's not just, the regular uh, tough stuff of not sleeping well and and your life changing, right? So mm-hmm. after that experience, I was like, wow, people need help with parenthood. I finally understood it because that was our first child. And and it was just that, that eye-opening experience that people need a lot more support in parenthood. Yeah. And, and especially with a colicky baby, that really changes the whole ball game. So I guess here we are talking about colic, colicky baby, but some people might be listening and they don't even know what that is. So can you, can, <laughs> let's start with definitions. What is, what is colic? What's it mean to have a colicky baby? At first we had no clue either. We kind of thought it was this, um, honestly, just kind of this bold thing. Like we were like, what, this isn't, this isn't anything. Like, what does this mean? It's, it's just, it's a baby who cries for no reason. You know, like it just didn't make sense to us. Um, but basically, you know, how it's defined is that it's long, frequent periods of, of inconsolable crying in an otherwise healthy infant. Um, and it, and it appears that they're in pain. There's a lot of like physical symptoms that come with it, a lot of discomfort, possibly gas. Um, There really isn't too much information that that clearly defines like what causes it or, you know, why that started, but it's long periods of inconsolable crying that typically peaks uh, at six weeks uh, and then usually at three or four months kind of uh, declines or, or, or dies down at that point. 
So for those that are in the middle of this, first of all, I'm so deeply sorry, but yet know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. So <laughs> maybe that's a uh, yeah, bit of solace. It does. It is temporary. It feels like forever when it's happening, but it that's the mystery of colic is how could something so intense happen to parents and this poor child for so long and then just go away? Because not, not, I mean, in our case, we, we did go through some formula changes and that sort of thing, but, but for some people, they don't do that and, but it still goes away. So it's really such a mystery and why there's not so much information out there and why it's so hard for parents to grasp the, the concept of it. And and it's, so there's no medical, there's no medical understanding of it. A little bit, you know, like they're, they're really, when, when the research that we did, cause we did a lot after because we really wanted to understand it was the risk factors. There really wasn't anything concrete. Um, you know, aside from, I saw one, one that was about, you know, mothers who are smoking, you know, before and, and after possibly might be a risk factor, but as far as causes, there's just kind of different things thrown out there, you know, possibly like an underdeveloped digestive tract or like food allergies or intolerances, uh, maybe overfeeding that causes a little bit more gas, um, you know, cause maybe stress in parents, but there's really nothing very concrete. It's kind of just like, well, yeah, no, this is what it is, but it will go away and your baby's healthy. So how did you figure out that your baby had colic? So, well, it's a funny story now, but it wasn't funny then. Uh, like, honestly, the second day in the hospital, um, I, the nurses were wheeling her in after she was in the nursery. So they came back every few hours for me to feed or for her to feed. And I heard, I was half asleep and I heard the nurse say, wow, she's a really colicky baby. And I didn't know what that meant. Uh, cause it was my first child and I really had had no clue. So I didn't think anything of it. You know, and that's after we went home when we started, when she started crying a lot more often and it was very difficult, uh, after feedings and, and just when, she, when the crying just was nonstop, that's when it clicked to me and we met with the pediatrician and it was basically diagnosed, uh, at that first appointment, well, second appointment, but, um, you know, at the appointment where we reached out and said, Hey, something might be a little bit off. I don't know what's going on. And I think that was day nine of her life. So that's how we found out. So I can imagine the anxiety as a brand new parent, you come home, you're thinking, all right, we we took our courses. We know, you know, how to swaddle all that. And then this baby just won't stop crying. I can imagine the anxiety of like, did we do something wrong? Is there something wrong with the baby? What did, what was going through your minds at that point? What kind of toll did it take on, on everything, I guess, at that time? Yeah. So, uh, those are definitely thoughts that were going through our head is what is, what do I, do we not know what we're doing or am I doing something wrong with trying to breastfeed or is, yeah, is, is she unhealthy? What, like what is happening? And it's, I know that they always have 24 hour, you know, on call that you could call a nurse at any point, but it's still when you're home, you don't want to call for every single thing. And you just kind of assume, well, this must be normal. This must be, you know, a new baby, just learning the way of the world. And then they're going to cry and they're going to cry a lot. Um, 
And then when we started having friends over who had recently just had kids too, it kind of clicked like maybe this is a little bit more than other babies cry. And and when we started really getting stressed out and started looking things up, that's when we decided to make that appointment. But um, it was very stressful. We definitely expected crying and we expected sleepless nights, but this was beyond, beyond our expectations. And it was, um, it was very, I don't even know the word for it. It was just all a blur and it, and it still sometimes is when I think back to that time. Because it's basically like you have a child who's healthy, but has higher needs. I had, um, I had a couple students in postnatal, again, it's all in Zoom, but I was looking at their faces and they had shared that their babies don't stop crying unless they're being bounced or held. And just the pure mm-hmm. exhaustion that I saw in their eyes and, and on their face, it's, it's a different, almost relentless exhaustion than I had seen. And I had seen it throughout the years. What kind of, what was that doing to your mind and body during that time, if you remember? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what it did to my body was what it led, you know, like I said, led to my interest in helping others because it was, it was brutal sometimes. It was just absolutely brutal. It was, uh, it, you hear, okay, when the baby sleeps, then you rest, you know, this is your time to do these things. And well, what happens when your baby doesn't nap, which she was really never a napper because she just couldn't get comfortable and she could not settle herself down from the crying and the gas and and everything that she, if she napped, it was in my arms. So to have something constant all day where even if she wasn't crying, she needed me it it was a very trapped feeling. Like when, when, when do I get to do my stuff? When, when can I have my life for at least a little break here and there, you know? And so of course we had to switch off and, and support each other and, and take breaks, but, but still having something completely rely on you all day is very difficult. Yeah. I had a really good friend that called me up and she, it was her first child. And she's like, we made a mistake. (laughs) And that was it. It was just the words, we made a mistake. And then she explained it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. He's colicky. And it was just, the only words I can come up were just relentless. It's just, that's all I can think about the way it just took down the joy she said that she had expected parenthood mm-hmm. to be. And again, things changed and, you know, she loves her child. This is this yes, was yes. like 11 years ago, but there was, I just remember feeling for her and she truly believed she's like, this was a mistake. I, I should not mm-hmm. have done that. And she got yep. past it. So what did you find actually helped calm your baby? <laughs> So it was a lot of trial and error. Uh, when we started researching things, uh, you know, most of it, when you hear inconsolable, it's like, oh my God, then what am I going to do if there's literally nothing to console my baby? But there are a few really weird random things that for some reason colicky babies really respond well to. And one of them is the yoga ball is constant bouncing up and down on a yoga ball. I don't know why it works. I don't know if it's the motion. I really don't know why, but it is something that I, we found 
to be the most helpful and uh, other other parents that I know who have experienced it also relied heavily on the yoga ball. So that was probably the biggest one, um, which we did most of the day. And even, you know, any visitors who came over wanted to hold her also bounced on that ball. Like it went, it went a long way. Um, and even for her naps, the same thing in order to get her to sleep or to, to calm down, we would just bounce on, on the yoga ball. So that, that was our saving grace for sure. Um, and the sound of the vacuum is another one there. They do sell vacuum cleaner, like CDs where you can kind of have that sound going constantly without actually using the vacuum. So we did get that, but that one was a little bit more hit or miss, but the yoga ball, absolutely. Um, and then just a funny one, I don't know why this works, but, or at least for our daughter, it did was for some reason, the Justin Timberlake hit, um, <laughs> can't stop the feeling. Oh my God. Really? I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. Like every time we put it on, that was, she was quiet. As soon as it ended right back to it, it, it was something about that song. So we played it on repeat a lot. <laughs> my- and she's still like, my brother was colicky and I heard about it forever. I still feel like I hear about it. My mom said that he would sleep in the car because um, we were not living in the city. So we we're in the suburb. And she said she drove all around Massachusetts just to get him mm-hmm. quiet for hours and miles and just drove. Yep. So I'm going to throw that out there. What mm-hmm. about, I've heard a lot of, again, we don't know if colic is necessarily gas or digestive stuff. What about like massaging the stomach and tummy area. Does that help a lot of babies that have colic? They say it does. Uh, we didn't find any success with that, but I also don't know because it was hard to be patient because when your baby is screaming and trying to like arch, arch their back and they're so red in the face, you feel like they're going to pass out because they're screaming so loud. It's hard to like slowly and calmly, massage while that's happening. You just want to like do something. You want to stop it. You want to, you know, get right on that ball and start bouncing. So at least that they can calm down. So I don't know if it's that we just didn't give it enough of a chance because of that, like feeling of, I need to pick up my baby and do something. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, yeah, we did not typically find that to be one of our go-tos. It must, I can just imagine the frustration of wanting to do everything you can for your baby, but then there's the the mental and physical fatigue. How did you keep your patience? How did you not, or maybe you didn't, maybe you're like, there's moments that you're like, yeah! like how, what do you say to the person that is now that you're on the other side that is just losing it? Like, what are some tools that they can use when they are really falling apart? Mm. Oh yeah. I wish I could say that I had kept my patience a lot of the times, but, but I didn't because you're not sleeping very well. You know, your whole life has changed and you have a baby who has a lot of needs and you also feel bad putting somebody else in charge of those needs, mm. right? Like I would even feel bad, you know, having, having my mom watch her. Cause it's like, Oh my God, you're you're going to be going straight for hours, you know, and that's, and that takes a toll on other people too. Um, so even, even with that, that guilt and feeling bad, you know, taking breaks is essential. 
whether you're swapping off, whether a friend comes over just for a half hour, just so you can, um, even if you're still listening to the baby cry, uh, just, just to be able to separate yourself from the room, go take a shower something, just breaking it up with little breaks is, is really important. I mean, one thing for me was I knew that I wanted to get back to work. I knew I needed that work-life balance, um, which was really helpful for me to be able to get out of the house and then be with her when I wasn't working. So having these other roles and identities is also very important. Cause I mean, we lose that when we become parents anyways, temporarily. And, and because we have to, right, we have to take care of this child who really needs us and relies on us. So we get lost and, and lose our identity sometimes. And so making sure we're still having that separate life here and there, getting out with a friend, going for a walk, doing some separate things is I think really, really important too. But I mean, just, just as far as like normalizing that, that it's okay to not have much patience around that. I mean, that is a very distressing sound and you constantly feel helpless because inconsolable is inconsolable. There's not much you can do. And it's just this bizarre (laughs) disorder that happens that like, that is part of the deal that no matter how good of a parent you are, it still might not stop your baby from crying. And it's not about your worth as a parent. It's about what, what colic is. Did you ever feel judged by others when you were out? I don't know if you went out, but if you did go out and your baby was just crying, that must, what did, what was that like? Yeah, we didn't go out very often. Exactly. So, but the judgment, I think it was more me judging myself than it. I was thinking other people were judging me. It mm-hmm. was more of like, Ooh, like, am I, like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Do they think that I'm a good mom? Like, or, or even people who are, Oh, have you tried this? You know, that, that type of advice it can be definitely helpful sometimes, but in that moment, when I'm, when I'm thinking I can't stop my baby from crying, I'm thinking, Oh my God, you know, like, I, I, have I not tried everything or, Hey, I am trying all this. You don't know what this is like. So it was, the emotions were all over the place. Oh, I can't imagine. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about what it was like, the reality of your new parenthood compared to what perhaps you had imagined parenthood be like and what it was like compared to seeing some of your new mom friends, what they were experiencing. We'll be right back. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Okay. We are back. So kind of loaded question. So all parents, I think probably have this idea of they have their baby in this new family, what parenthood's going to be like. And then you have a colicky baby and you're like, this is not like that. And then it's probably even more different than, like you said, your friends came over and you're like, Oh, our baby's very different. What was that whole situation like? Well, it was kind of a bummer. 
it was kind of a bummer because the the whole process, you know, trying to get pregnant and 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 wanting that family and seeing your friends getting pregnant and having their families, like it's a stressful thing, right? And then you 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 want that and you get excited for that. And then you have that and it's not what you imagined. And it's such a bummer in that moment, right? And, and and it does, like you were saying with your friend, it goes quickly to, is this really what we wanted? Like, this is, this is what we were so stressed out about trying to get pregnant for. And like, this is it. And like, how do people become parents? It, it was, it, so it definitely was shattered. Those expectations were, were shattered. So we had a lot of different uh, I think I can speak for my husband because we've talked about this plenty, but you know, there were a lot of emotions um, and we were not prepared for that. And so seeing other friends in my head, I'm like, how do they just, how are they so natural at this? How do they know what to do? How do they, like, am I, am I missing something? Like, am I, you know, uh, this, this secret club that I just joined, like, did I miss all the meetings? Like, I don't know how they're doing this and keeping their child calm and, and all of these things. So it, it was a lot of jealousy. It was a lot of uh, shame and, and, and even some anger, you know, it was, it was tough having all of these emotions while also trying to help your baby. This was all going on at the same time. So I was pulled in so many different directions and not to say I wasn't happy for my friends. Of course I was, but I was definitely jealous. I was jealous of like, why, why did our baby have to have colic? And it, it was just a whirlwind of, of, of emotions. And that brings something up. So I mentioned that my brother was colic and it's, you know, it's something I heard for years, but I really feel like it affected my mom's relationship with him. I feel like there was, she had resentment towards him because I think she was ill-equipped to handle the demands of a colicky baby, especially she was a lot younger, you know, back way back then she was in, um, I had my kids in my late thirties. She's had hers in her, in her mid to late twenties. You know, I think there was just, she was ill-equipped to handle that. So what would you say to that new parent because, you know, you do counsel people if they come in and they're, they're resentful of their child because like you said, the demands, it's just so much harder than what other people, then I'm going to put in quotes like normal or the typical, we'll use the word typical. Yeah. It, it wasn't until we learned more about what colic was that I was then able to kind of separate you know, that from my relationship with her, for example, you know, in the beginning, anytime people asked, Oh, how's the baby? You know? Oh, well, she's terrible. (laughs) She cries (laughs) all the time. Like, and, and it was so like personal to her. But then when we really started to understand like what colic was, what it's doing to her body, you know, what, or what we don't, you know, what it could possibly be going on in there that's causing this discomfort. Then I was able to kind of say like, Hey, this is, this is not her fault. You know, this is bad for both of us. This is really, you know, unfortunate, but, um, so that really helped with kind of those, those resentment type thinking is, is to really separate, um, what your baby or what, what your baby is doing from, from your, um, you know, worth as a parent. And so being able to kind of have, 
have these affirmations and, and be able to separate, like, even if your baby does, that does not mean you're a bad parent, you know, and even if you miss your old life and you want to run away, that still doesn't mean you're a bad parent. And so being able to kind of normalize a lot of that and, and understand how much your life changes either way, uh, to be able to kind of process that and then have a space to talk about that is really huge. Yeah. And I can imagine that just also maybe your pediatrician explaining, you know, it's your baby's not doing this on purpose. Cause I can imagine like there is resentment, resentment. What did your pediatrician, how did your pediatrician explain that? Like what's going on in her body that helped that kind of clicked to be like, okay, she's just as uncomfortable as we are probably more. Oh goodness gracious. Um, so she really didn't. Okay. <laughs> when we, you know, when we first got on day nine, when we got that, you know, kind of, Hey, this, this sounds like colic. This is, you know, this is colic. Um, we did all of our own research. We were not given really any information, what to expect, what we should be doing. Uh, there really wasn't any guidance around that. So my, my husband is such, such a Googler. And he like came, like got all of this information, all of this research, and we just learned everything we possibly could. And and that continued on when we went to the specialist for the, you know, gastrointestinal doctors. And like we, this was all because we were, were pushing for these changes and stuff. So there really wasn't much information out there. Um, so that was something that we had to advocate and, and really do for ourselves, unfortunately. So do some doctors have, like, do some doctors have information on this and some don't, or is this just the doctor's like, by six weeks, it will subside by three months, it should be gone. What, how can doctors be helpful? Is this a question that when someone's interviewing a pediatrician, they can say like, (laughs) if I have a colicky baby, how are you going to help me? Hey, that would be a great, a great question, you know, and like, how often should I call? How much is too much crying? How you know, like that, I think those actually would be really helpful because I mean, typically anything that we've ever gotten from a doctor, you know, uh, if, if one of our children were diagnosed with something, it's just like a little informational sheet. Mm-hmm. But even then think of anything we've learned in school, like that does not prepare you for the actual experience, you yeah. know? And so it's more of kind of this like in-depth discussion of kind of what to expect when it really is colic versus, um, you know, just, just regular baby gas and, and that sort of thing. Um, it is something that takes a very big emotional toll on parents and can absolutely increase odds of, uh, postpartum depression for, for mom and dad. Oh, I, yeah, of course. So, if someone is starting to head down that path of postpartum depression, what would you, how would you support them? What would, what should they seek? Hmm. Well, I mean, obviously if they're, if they're coming to me, that's a great sign because they're in therapy, right? right. Which is great. And I've seen a lot more moms reach out even proactively of, Hey, I'm pregnant. You know, I really want to get on this so that, you know, I, I have a history of X, Y, and Z. And so I've seen that a lot lately, which I'm so glad is happening more. Um, but I think what, what I have found too is mom groups, you know, or some sort of parent group mm-hmm. 
has been very helpful uh, for for my clients and for friends I know just to have that support, just to have that group support. There's so much value in in spending time with people who are going through similar things, even if it's not, you know, another colicky baby, but just the, oh man, this is tough and I'm tired and, you know, whoa, these are my thoughts and, and what's normal, what's not. And so those mom, those mom groups or support groups have been very, very helpful for people. Yeah. I'm actually still friends with some of the people I met at my first child support group almost 10 years ago, about nine years ago. And we're still pals. And it was so helpful just to get a touchstone of like, okay, this is, we're kind of in the ballpark of this is happening and this is happening. Mm -hmm. And just someone else to understand those first few months of just like living in the mud of like, what is happening, especially with your first child? Is this normal? You're not sleeping either. I'm not sleeping. You know, it just, it felt really, um, not <laughs> yeah. supportive. It's not even just the word, just like validating that. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. So you had one colicky baby. I told you about my friend that <laughs> called me up that this is a mistake. So she decided to have a second, which I have to tell you, I was shocked, shocked because <laughs> I mean, her son eventually got over it. He really didn't. He's an awesome kid. But when she said they were doing another, I'm like, really? Do you want me to remind you of what you said? But so she really committed, like she was trying to do, like she took probiotics. She was doing acupuncture. Like she was just thinking, I cannot have another colicky baby because it would put me over the edge. So she started really going kind of this routine. She was being super mindful about what she's eating, but there was such anxiety around and fear, like rightfully so, because it was so hard the first time. So what do you stop? How how would you talk about the anxiety about possibly experiencing a subsequent child that might have colic? Like how would men mentally prepare for that? Yeah. Well, yeah, we were so, so anxious. I can totally relate to your friend. Um, it took me a long time to agree to have a second one. I, I, I did not know if I could go through that again. Um, if, you know, if our second was also colicky, it was, it took a toll on me. So, um, I don't know, like sometimes the mental preparation can be a little bit tougher where it's more the plan. You know, like, okay, if let's just assume your second one is colicky, you know, what, what happened the first time? What were you doing or not doing? What can we add? How many supports, you know, like really coming up with a plan because it's, it's not fair to say, okay, well, the odds are pretty low of you having another one. Cause I know plenty of parents who had multiple colicky children, you know? And so you don't also don't want to give that false hope, right. That, that it's not going to happen because you already had one. Um, so it's really about that plan and, and what you are going to do for self care this time around. And what was not so helpful, what, what was very difficult the first time. And, and so it's a lot of planning. Will you share some of that? What you found helped, what didn't help, what was your plan mentally, (laughs) physically? Like if baby number two came out and you're like, Oh my God, here we are again. Mm -hmm. Yep. So my, my, um, personally, my plan was definitely as soon as I was able to would have a regular exercise routine. Cause that was something 
I did not do. I was after my first, I was just exhausted and it's, it would have been beneficial if I did it, even though I was tired, but I didn't do it. I just did not do it. So exercise was definitely a big one. Um, another one was allowing help, you know, asking for help. If, if this is the case, you know, as, as soon as we can, we're going to get, uh, either somebody uh, in the family to kind of help out or we'll do daycare a little bit earlier uh, because with our first, we I literally would not send her to daycare because I felt too bad. So I just kept her home way longer than we had hoped because I did not want daycare to have to deal with that. So now you're like, take around, him. <laughs> I was like, nope, yep, that's, that's, that's literally what you're trained to do. Like I, I'm not... Um, you know, so that was one is, is, is doing that earlier. Another one is, you know, if I, if I was truly worried, like it was, I was absolutely going to explore medication. I did not the first time around and looking back on for it, you or the I baby. probably should have. Yeah, I probably should have. So medication oh, for, for you, me. for yeah, you, no, okay. for me. For me. Okay. She was on she was on other medication to help her, but with the the reflex and that sort of thing. But you know, like it be, I think being a therapist, I was like, no, I have to I have to get through this. I have to do this, you know, on my own. And I learned a lot through therapy that that's just not not the best option. So um, you know, this time around I was like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to work on my health because there's no other option for me, you know. And so it was um you know, some things were planning that I would definitely do and others were kind of, okay, if it's really not going well here, you know, that, that here's that backup plan. So I did stay in therapy as well, um, to help prepare and plan for our second child. That must've felt good to know that you had a plan in place and just brought a little bit of confidence. I'm guessing. Yes. To, yes, it definitely. I mean, I still did not want a second colicky child, but I was like, okay, this, this time I feel a lot more, it's going to be different because I'm a lot more prepared for this. And we have all these things in place, worst case scenario. Was she colicky? Our second was not. No, he was not. Nope. <laughs> That's really good. I'm, I'm very oh, happy to hear that, that. I know, but I truly, my heart, oh my God, goes out to all the people, you know, who had to, to, to deal with anything, you know, with, with children, but, you know, to have a second one, I, it's, it's very challenging. And, but even, even the first, I think for the first six or eight weeks, we were still on edge every day, just looking out for any signs of colic coming. You know, we were like, Oh, are we in the clear yet? Nope. Nope. It's still not the peak time. We got to wait. It was just, it was painful. When is the peak time that one would notice if a baby was heading down that path? They say like the peak is at six weeks. Um, you know, so probably would start to notice that anytime after two weeks. Mm Um, uh, which like I said, we had, we had, somehow got that on day two, but, um, you know, like it, there are different severities, I think in, in different cases, uh, where some, some might start right away and others won't start until after a month. Gosh, you've given such amazing information. Is there anything I haven't asked about either your experience handling a colicky baby, your experience as a therapist, when you have clients that have a colicky baby or anything in that, that whole realm that you want to share? 
Oh man. Um, you know, there's just so much, there's so much and it's such a, a, like a loaded, loaded conversation because there's a lot of different routes to go. You know, how do you support the baby? How do you support yourself? How do you support the relationship you're in? Because that takes a toll on it, you know, like what, so I'm biased of course, but but therapy is very helpful for that, you know, even if it's just for kind of learning different skills of how to communicate, how to ask for what you need. Um, so it's uh, like that. That's definitely a really, really good one to to explore, even for parents not going through colic. It's I think you can learn some very crucial skills to be able to get through the stressors, the regular stressors that come with parenthood you know, anyways. Um, but I think it's really a lot of planning, a lot of prioritizing your health and your mental health. And you brought up a really good point about the partner. I can imagine one's already tired postpartum and then your nerves are probably a little on edge from a, I mean, a crying baby, even if it's your own, like that, that sound is very strident. I mean, it's really, oh, it can be oh, really yeah. hard. Oh, and so you're not at your best to say the least. I can imagine partners being kind of snapped. Like I know when I'm tired, my husband always is like, you get a little mean. Um, so how did you guys stay on the same team? We weren't always on the same team, but like you said, like it, it just caused so much stress that we're snapping at each other, but it really comes down to the, the, the grief that, Oh my God, this is not what we imagined. And, and our, uh, we don't know how great we are at this. And, and like was this a mistake and, and are we doing a good job and oh this poor baby, there's just so many directions, um, that it is going. And so it's very easy to, to snap at each other. It's very easy to lose sight of kind of what it is that's really bothering people, Mm. um, in those moments. And, and so we tried to really, uh, take time to get a babysitter once in a while or a family member to come over so we could just, just go out to dinner or something like that. I know that's hard right now. I know this is a whole different ball game with, with um, the pandemic, but, um, really tried to make time for our relationship so that we could even just separate us from a crying baby for a little bit. Um, and, and that is so, beneficial. Um, and that, I guess that is one of the bigger tips that I, that I want to say is when you are so exhausted and you feel like no matter what you do, you're not helping because it's the inconsolable piece, but even, even if you feel like it's not helping do it anyways, because it is right. So even if you know, taking a break, going out for the night, you still feel bad about it. You feel guilty about this. And it is, you are still going to get those benefits from it. And even if you don't feel like it's helping, if that makes sense, you know, like do it anyways. Yeah. That's how I feel about getting on my, my bike every now and then. I love to exercise, but there's days and I'm like, I don't want to do it, but just do it because I'll feel better. One, one more question I'm thinking about. So 
you call like a baby. You're learning that it's not just you. Like she's having some problems. You and your partner are trying to work it out. How do you rebuild? Like once she started to feel better, how did you rebuild and start to enjoy parenthood or and kind of put it behind you and be like, okay, we got past that. And like, like you said, there was maybe resentment or just confusion. And Mm -hmm. how did you get on the other side? How did you rebuild that? I think some of it, well, I didn't start, I actually didn't start going to therapy until like five months into it. So like that was part of it that helped is, you know, I started doing that because she started to get better around seven months, six, seven months. Um, so it was longer than the three, three to four that they had predicted. But, um, you know, so I started going to therapy, which obviously anytime we're working on ourselves it is going to help the partnership as well. Um, and you know, there's not, a lot of research on this, but, but dads are very affected when moms are affected and vice versa. Right. So, and, and, and partners of, of any sort, you are definitely affected when your partner is not doing well. So, so I think that that helped. And I think just her naturally getting older at that point, you know, she was less reliant on us and, you know, started to nap. And so naturally some of those things, that perspective shift was like, Oh, we can breathe a little bit now. Um, and I think that, that perspective, I'm very grateful that it happened because it then allowed us to really appreciate our second child even more because we knew like how difficult it could be. We did not take anything for granted after that. Like it was, I don't, you know, I don't know how it would have been if our second child was colicky and our first wasn't. I think that would have been a lot tougher, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, but because she was, we were just able to enjoy that. And so, yeah, naturally, when she became more independent and was comfortable and, you know, wasn't screaming after every time she ate, it just felt so good for us because she was then having a much better time. Like she was enjoying life. So it was a lot easier for us to enjoy it. That makes a lot of sense. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, if you have one final tip or piece of advice for new and expectant parents, and it doesn't have to be about colic, you are a therapist, you are a parent. It can be anything that you want to offer, anything you want to bestow upon the community. We'll be right back. Okay. So from your knowledge as a professional, as a parent, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? Oh, do a lot of, um, you know, uh, reading and research and, and getting familiar with the concept of Mm self-compassion. I think it is so essential to everybody, whether you're a parent or not. We, you know, we have always grown up in a society of kind of tough love. I have to, I have to tough this out. You know, I have to struggle for it to mean something. No, life is tough enough, you know, self-compassion. Let's help each other out, support each other, prioritize our health. Let's make it easier so that we can enjoy things a lot more, you know? So self-compassion is one of those topics that I don't think it's definitely talked about a lot more, but is not talked about enough. And it's something that can really be life, life changing because it's the ability to say, Hey, it's not always pretty, but I'm doing my best. And that's all I can do. 
That is so great. I'm actually writing that down. The importance of self-compassion. <laughs> it's, it's so true. Where can people find your work? Um, well, it depends on what kind of work. So we have, um, you know, my website is uh, com. So that's just a little bit more about um, the psychotherapy services. And I also... Uh, dabble a little bit in laughter therapy. So I do offer groups through that or just, you know, um, webinars, that sort of thing. Um, and then just, uh, my Instagram is, uh, but let's be realistic. And there, I just kind of share tips here and there, just there it's all therapy related. And, um, so either way is, is that is where you could find me. I'll make sure that we have all of that in our show notes. Thank you so much. I know it's not, you know, a, a topic that everyone is going to fall into, but for those that are there or those preparing, wow, you really gave some amazing information that I think will help, will, will throw a lifeline to those that are in the middle mm-hmm. of it, as well as help prepare people who may end up with a colicky baby. So thank you for all of your knowledge and your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.